What's good, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Amatella Catalia's podcast here on this final weekend of the month of January, the year 2022, Championship Sunday in the National Football League, Conference Championship Sunday, the AFC and NFC Championship Games, the Final Four of the National Football League playoffs that we will have to uh, preview here on this program here today. Of course, uh, I will pick the two games uh, of course, uh, later on in the program, of co- and Sean Payton got some NFL news. Sean Payton stepping away from the New Orleans Saints earlier this week. Gave my two cents on that and the whole uh, Hall of Fame controversy regarding uh, Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens getting left out on the uh, you know at the hands of the voters as they will not be subject to vote upon for the Hall of Fame voters uh, ever again in life. And Dave Ortiz is the only. Uh, lone uh, ex-player that gets in via the the regular committee of the voters. He got inducted into Hall of Fame first ballot um, earlier this week, addressed that controversy as far as the sport is concerned with their Hall of Fame coming up later on in the program. Um, And I also want to give you my two cents on this whole overtime controversy for the uh, for the final time, because all I've heard, you know, all week since last Sunday night up till now about, you know, all I hear about is, uh, you know, got to change your overtime rules, got to change your overtime rules. I want to address that a little bit later on in the program, as it's nice to have you with us on this final weekend of the month of January. Where we will begin is with uh, Sean Payton and the and uh, the fact that he announced earlier this week that he uh, was stepping aside and stepping down from his post as head coach of the New Orleans Saints said that he has not done uh, he feels like that's not a retirement that he doesn't you know that he feels like that he still has uh, Left plenty of stuff left in the gas as far as wanting to coach, be a head coach in the National Football League again in his in his lifetime in his career. But he knows, you know, the the Saints team they're in cap hell. Uh, they're millions of dollars over the luxury luxury tax thing with my mind on base with the Hall of Fame. Millions of dollars over the salary cap. Uh, players that you know, players that they won't be able to re-sign in free agency. Guys that are due for new contracts coming up in free agency. No quarterback. Taysom Hill is not the answer. Jameis Winston coming off of a torn ACL, and you know we his and his ceiling is yet is yet but so high. Uh, they do not because they went nine and eight this season. And it's a tremendous job by Peyton finagling the quarterback position with with uh, Ian Book and uh, with Ian Book, Taysom Hill, uh, Jameis Winston, no Michael Thomas at all this season, and dealing with the with the injuries that they had to deal with all season long. It's a phenomenal job that Sean Peyton 
went into the final weekend of the regular season in Week 18 with a playoff spot on the line. And it was a phenomenal job by him that his squad was somehow, some way able to win nine games. And this is their first season after their Hall of Fame quarterback, Drew Brees, uh, called it quits after their divisional round playoff loss to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers this, uh, a January ago, back in 2021. Uh, but Sean Payton, greatest coach, you know, obviously greatest coach in the history of the New Orleans Saints franchise. He got there in uh, 2006, the same time that uh, Drew Brees, the same time that Drew Brees got the New Orleans. He was at the age of 43 by that time. Went 10 and six his first his uh, first season as the New Orleans Saints head coach. Went two and one in the playoffs. Made it to the. Uh, excuse me, one on one in the playoffs. I do apologize. One on one in the playoffs. His first year there, uh, lost the lost the NFC Championship game to the uh, Chicago Bears that year. Went, went through a couple of seasons back to back hardship. Oh seven, they went seven and nine, missed the playoffs. Two thousand eight, they went eight and eight, missed the playoffs. Two thousand nine, they go thirteen and three. One of the best records. Uh, one of the best records in the sport for that season. Eight thirteen. A uh, winning percentage. They go. Th- they obviously three and zero to win the Super Bowl. Uh, the win the Super Bowl. Super Bowl thirty one seventeen was the final score. Beating uh, uh, Peyton Manning and Indianapolis Colts in Super Bowl forty four. Of course, game number one. They beat. Uh, they and they beat literally and uh, and uh, in a football sense. They beat the living crap out of Kurt Warner and his. Uh, and the defending at that point in time, the defending NFC champion Arizona Cardinals that uh, that uh, that year and that season beat the tar out of Kurt Warner in that game, and then turn around and and uh, beat Brett Favre into a pulp when he when he essentially gave gave the Saints the game away where he threw an interception with about 13 or so seconds left in regulation that allowed uh, the Saints to run out the clock, ride that momentum, get lucky winning the toss. And back in those days, I understand, you know, 2009, back in those days. But 2009, of course, that was, what, a few seasons after the NFL had changed the overtime rules where first score where, you know, right as soon as you get into overtime, it's sudden death. First score of the game of any kind. You win the game. What happens? Saint gets Saints win the toss. March down the field. Set up a Garrett Hartley game-winning field goal. Saints win the NFC uh, conference. Going to advance the Super Bowl. Those two games were, of course, the known as like the Bounty Bowl games because of the because of the whole controversy that came out with Bounty Gate and Greg Williams. A couple of it's not cheating, folks. Now, you know, you want to sit there and say, well, Sean Payton is Sean Payton that because he cheated the sport. No, he didn't, okay? Cheating is is what the Belichick and the Patriots, you know, got themselves in trouble with with Spygate or Deflategate with the footballs or, uh, or, or you know, cheating your ways so you, you know, when you're over it, when you breach the salary cap threshold and, uh, and you know, you kind of bend the rules a little bit so you get to keep players on your roster, or you know, hacking the radio signals and the radio frequencies of of, uh, of teams on the opposite sideline, so you get to hear what what plays they're calling within their headsets, or stealing their play sheet, or videotaping a, a walkthrough, or illegally videotaping a practice. That's cheating, okay? Pay, having your defensive coordinator pay your players a couple, you know, uh, uh, essentially a, a bunch of. Uh, uh, under the table 
off the uh, off the board incentive bonuses for laying for laying out opposing players and laying out opposing quarterbacks. That's dirty. It's dishonest, but it's not cheating. Because because that's, they're breaking a rule, but them break but them breaking a rule did not have any influence on the Saints winning a Super Bowl or not. So I, you know, I understand this has never been, at least in my honest opinion, a, a subject for discussion about whether or not the 2009 Saints championship is tainted because of the whole Bounty Gate thing. I don't think so. It's a bad blemish on Greg Williams. It's a bad blemish on Sean Payton as far as his resume and his career is concerned. But I do not look at that 2009 championship, nor should you, with that Saints team as, you know, with the little asterisks next to one under any circumstances. But they won a Super Bowl 2009. Uh, they go 11-5 and 2010. I believe they lost a playoff game that year to the Saints, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, or it's not the Saints. Uh, the uh, the 49ers, if not the year after that in 2000. No, excuse me. They lost the playoff game on the road to the 49ers in 2011. That was the year where Vernon Davis made that uh, made the game-winning touchdown uh, catch, which is known in San Francisco 49er lore as the catch uh, as the catch three, uh, following the Dwight Clark uh, the uh, Dwight Clark catch in the '81 NFC Championship game, the catch that Terrell Owens made in a playoff game. I believe that was either in '96 or in '98 against uh, against against the Green Bay Packers, and I believe that was a wild card game. And then, of course, the third one is when Vernon Davis caught the caught a game-winning touchdown catch um, against the uh, Green Bay Packers. To uh, now, that wasn't a championship game setting. Uh, let me see if I can pull it up here just to make sure I'm, I'm accurate. Um, the catch too that was the '98 wild card game between Green Bay and San Francisco, Terrell Owens made the catch, crying on the sideline, whole nine yards. And then Vernon Davis does the same thing against the Saints in a 2011 NFC Divisional Playoff game, and he's and he's crying his eyeballs out, headed towards, uh, into Jim Harbaugh's arms, crying towards the sidelines, and the 49ers ended up winning that game, advancing to the NFC Championship, which they ended up losing to the New York Giants the following week. 2010, that was the famous Beastquake game. For, uh, Seattle went 7-9, and won the lousy NFC West that year, went 11-5, and was a wildcard team, went on the road to play in Seattle, and of course they got ambushed by Marshawn Lynch, Matt Hasselbeck, and that miraculous uh, 2010 uh, Seattle Seahawks team. That was a year before it was either, I believe it was the, the year before Russell Wilson, or Russell Wilson, Pete Carroll got there. Uh, I could be mistaken, um, but the, the, the 2000, but their 2010 season, the year after they had won the Super Bowl, their season came to an abrupt end thanks to the Beastquake game and uh, Marshall Lynch in 2011. Yeah, that was Pete Carroll's first season there in 2010. Um, and, then, uh, and then, of course, the Beastquake game, in 2010, and the Vernon Davis, the catch three that came the, that came a year uh, later. Then 2012 comes around, and uh, and what's done in the darkness comes out the light as uh, as Sean Payton gets suspended for this season 
for his uh, role and for his role in Bounty Gate. Gets suspended all of 2012. Comes back 20, excuse me 2013. Go 11 and five. Miss the, or excuse me get eliminated in the playoffs in the second round. They have three straight substandard subpar pedestrian seven and nine seasons seven and nine from 2014 to 2016. They finally get their legs back under them in 2017. Make the playoffs. That of course you know their season ended that year thanks to the Minneapolis. Uh, Miracle and Stephon and Stephon Diggs at U.S. Bank Stadium. Then 2018, they go 13 and three, best record in the conference, and they get now again. Breeze didn't make the plays that were necessary to be made to uh, overcome the ref, the uh, the piss poor ref ball, and to get the get the uh, the um, New Orleans Saints to the Super Bowl. But I, but no no matter how you slice the baby in half. The bottom line is that the Saints got screwed by the uh, by the officiating, the pass interference slash illegal helmet to helmet hit that wasn't that did not that was not called. Thirteen and three, Saints lose to the Rams in overtime in the NFC Championship game. Two thousand nineteen, they go. Uh, Two thousand nineteen, they go thirteen and three again, but have to play on Wild Card Weekend to Kirk Cousins in the Minnesota and the Minnesota Vikings. They lose in the first round to Kirk Cousins and the Vikings in the first round of the NFC playoffs in their own building. 2020 comes around. They uh, they get the number two seed. Uh, with they get the number two seed, they got to play Wild Card Weekend as the two seed for the first time in the history of the NFC under the new current playoff format. They run over the Green Bay the Green Bay Packers, the Chicago Bears, and uh, the Chicago Bears and Mitch Trubisky in the opening round. Proceed to the second round. Uh, look like look they look like they're in a decent control of the game against Tampa, and then Jared Cook fumbles the football. Things spiral out of control from there. Bucks ended up winning the game, winning the only game against the Saints that season of note that that really mattered, and that was that playoff game. Third time ended up being the charm in 2020. They went 12 and four that year. Drew Brees retires, you know, in a fanless uh, Mercedes-Benz Superdome. He retires, 2021. His team goes nine and eight, and playoff contention to, in playoff contention for a wild card spot heading into the final weekend of the regular season. They missed the playoffs. This is, of course, with Jameis Winston tearing his ACL and and having to put out Ian Book on that Monday night game against the. Uh, that Monday night game against the uh, Miami Dolphins, uh, the Monday after Christmas on the 27th, and uh, and the Saints, you know, close but no cigar, go nine and eight, fail to make, fail to uh, make the playoffs in this uh, 2021 NFL regular season. Um, so you know, and Sean Payton, hell of a coach, again, best coach that the Saints have ever had in the history of the organization, 631 uh, winning percentage. He only went one. Two, three, four seasons going five hundred, going uh, with a sub five hundred record, and even then he managed to win seven games, nearly half of uh, of the games that was on his team's schedule. Super Bowl champion appeared, and uh, he's you know, he's gotten his team to play in in two NFC Championship games throughout his tenure. Uh, God knows how many division titles his teams won. I could go back and look if you if you would wish me to. Uh, Super Bowl champion, 2006 AP Coach of the Year. Uh, will he go to Fox if Aikman 
uh, leaves Fox and goes to Amazon uh, to do the Thursday night games. Who knows? He's buddies with his uh, with his guy Joe Buck, who's been working with for what oh, twenty years, probably a little longer than that. No Super Bowl if you're uh, if you're Aikman, you know you give up the right to do a Super Bowl, give up the right to uh, to host a playoff game if you do leave Buck. I do I do not expect Buck to leave uh, Fox and his and his uh, buddies and Andrews and Buck to to go run the Amazon to do. You know, Jaguars and uh, Indianapolis Colts on Thursday night football, but we shall see, and we'll be interesting to see if he does leave. If if uh, Fox is uh, is going to run the Sean Payton to uh, run the Sean Payton to see if he can fill uh, Aikman's place in the broadcast booth, um, as Payton did say again in his press conference that he's open to coaching again. This isn't a retirement. This is just you know taking a blow. And taking a little break from coaching, and you know, a little uh, take a little blow from the Saints, uh, and coaching them, and uh, you know, see where the chips fall where they may. He's got ties with the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, he coached under Parcells when Parcells uh, is one of his last coaching stops. His NFL career was in Dallas. Um, so we'll see, you know, if Mike McCarthy either fails to make the playoffs or it's one and done with the Cowboys again. Jerry Jones, I would imagine, will be trigger happy to pick up the phone and call up Sean Payton, the coach's ball club, come the 2023 NFL uh, NFL season. He made it known that he's not going to coach in 2021. Don't expect him to, but I expect to see Sean Payton back on the sidelines come 2023 and for the foreseeable future after that. He's only 58 years of age, still got, you know, if Belichick's coaching in his early 70s and Saban in college is coaching in his early 70s, why can't, you know, why can't Sean Payton? Now, I get it, Payton is not Belichick or Saban, but he's still a, a very good, successful NFL head coach and certainly the greatest one that the Saints have ever had, which, uh, which speaks volumes in, in, uh, in his own right. So Sean Payton steps away. We'll see uh, where his uh, next, uh, where his next challenge, where his next uh, journey in the National Football League will take him. The broadcast booth will take a blow, regroup, regather himself, and then go back out there and either coach the Saints in 2023 or coach the Cowboys or whatever team is going to be in the market for a head coach come the 2022-2023 NFL offseason. That is where we begin with Sean Payton. We turn our eyes to baseball. This is the Amatelica TIS podcast back in a flash. Welcome back to the Amatelica TIS podcast. Let's switch our attention to Major League Baseball for a moment as uh, there was a, some elements of controversy within the sport over the last uh, few days, and that is the fact that uh, Big Poppy, David Ortiz, the former designated hitter for the Boston Red Sox, has made his way into Cooperstown as a first ballot Hall of Famer at the position uh, causing a lot of controversy because Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds did not get in on their final year 
on the on the as on their final year on the uh, ballot and the controversy that well Ortiz failed a drug test in 03, Bonta Clemens didn't get in and and the whole thing was steroids. Should we put steroid guys in? Should we not put them in? And blah 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 blah. Let me just give you my two cents on it. I'll do Ortiz first and then I'll get to the Bonds and Clemens uh, being left out controversy. David Ortiz, you know, is is a Hall of Famer. When I watched him play, you know, and I'm an Orioles fan, so I saw David Ortiz play probably about a hundred, uh, over a hundred times throughout my life. Uh, you know, nineteen times, nineteen times a season, uh, nineteen times a season from. You know, for, he got from let's just say for the for the sake of conversation, from 07 to 20. What was the year he retired? To 2016. So for 11 years, so about 11, 12 years, uh, 19 times a year. I mean, you do the math. I mean, about I must have saw David Ortiz play about 100 times uh, throughout my life as an Orioles fan, uh, and he joined Boston in 03. In 03. Um, so he, I always looked at him as a as a as a Hall of Fame type hitter. Uh, always, always. I, I was like, oh, big poppies on deck, runners on a second and third, nobody out. We're up by one run. I mean, if we if we can get big poppy to strike out, that's a huge victory in the inning. Um, it's because I looked at him with that with that magnitude of him being a Hall of Fame player. He's got over 541 career home runs. Uh, over over one th- over seventeen hundred RBIs, one thousand seven hundred sixty eight to be exact. Um, had a two eighty six career batting average, which for a power hitter, I think, speaks a great volumes. Ten time All Star, won a home run derby if that matters. Three time World Series champion, part of the 04, 07, and twenty thirteen Red Sox teams. Seven time Silver Slugger, World Series MVP. Um, I'm trying to see what. Year was that World Series uh, MVP, um, and he also won the and he also won the ALCS MVP. Um, and if you look at like the the quote unquote black type by his name, he led all of baseball in 2005 with 148 RBIs, which was his career best. Um, two thousand in 2006, he led all of baseball with 100 and. Uh, with 137 RBIs, which was his career second, with which was his career's uh, second best, he drew 119 walks in 06, 111 walks in 07, uh, and you go look at his home run total. Uh, we'll, and we'll discount, you know, what he did with the Twins from '97 to 2002. What he did with uh, with Boston from 03 to, to 2016, his final season: 31, 41, 47, 54, 35, 23, 28, 32, 29, 23, 30, 35, 37, 38. I mean, think like this for a second. In Poppy's final season of his of his career, he hit. 315, 48, or excuse me, he hit 315, 38 home runs, 127 RBIs. And he led the league in OPS, RBIs, and doubles in his final season. And in 2016, if you do the math, he was... What thirty? He was thirty-nine years of age in his final season. I understand now, and don't give me the, the, the DH argument. The point is, he was he was a hell of a hitter, 
You know, great. You make the argument greatest designated hitter in the history of the sport. And you know what he was able to do and the level of consistency, essentially when he, when his career started in Boston, when he hit 288, 31 home runs and 101 RBIs. That of course that was the year when uh, the Red Sox lost to the Yankees in ALCS via of Boone series clinching championship uh, clinching walk off home run. I mean, just the numbers that he put up. I mean, I mean, the down year that he had was uh, was in 2012. They only played 90 games. Uh, only played 90 games, and even then, he had 318, 23 home runs, and 60 RBIs. He never finished out. If his Red Sox career alone, he never finished. The worst he finished in home runs was 23 in 2008. He only played 109 games that year. But look at the games he games played with the Red Sox: 128, 150, 159, 151, 149, 109, and 08. 150 in 2009, 145 in 2010, 146 2011, 90 in 2012, 137 2013, 142 in 2014, 146 in 2015, 151 in 2016. Had a hell of had a hell of a career. A pedestrian subpar Minnesota twin. But when he got to the Red Sox, he was just absolutely phenomenal. He is absolutely deserving to get inducted into Cooperstown. One of the best uh, left-handed hitters I've I've ever seen in my lifetime in all of watching baseball. And again, nobody that then saw uh, Dave Ortiz's uh, you know, big-time clutch moments more than more than yours truly. Who can forget? Um, who can forget David Ortiz in that 2013 year? Of course, that was the year with uh, that was the year with the Boston bombing that happened April of that year. He goes out there and he makes this emotional speech. That nobody's gonna mess, you know. That nobody's gonna mess with our bleeping city, and just the mag- and just the magical run that he, uh, and just the magical run that he and that 2013 Red Sox team went on that year. And game, who can forget in Game Two of the 2013 ALCS, Poppy's grand slam in the bottom of the eighth inning, off of uh, I believe it was off of Joaquin Benoit at that time. Uh, with uh, yeah, it was off of Joaquin Benoit with the uh, with the game time grand slam and in the bottom of the eighth inning, Red Sox down to the final out of the inning, and Game Two of the 13 ALCS taking on the at that point in time the defending a uh, American League champion. Uh, Detroit, phenomenal World Series that he had. You can just go and pull up uh, his stats in that 2013 ALCS, and then I'll get to that World Series. Um, In that 2013 ALCS, he hit... Uh, Let's see if we can get his numbers right here, because he had an an absolutely phenomenal phenomenal postseason um, during that year in 2013. Just to see if I can pull up his stats and pull up his numbers uh, right quick. And at 2013 ALCS, he hit, let's see. And at 2013 ALCS, he is he hit, um, well, wow, he didn't hit. I don't I remember him hitting better in that ALCS than I thought he did. He didn't do it outside that Grand Slam. It, the Grand Slam was the only four RBIs he had in that series. Hit 091. He did hit 385. He went he went five of 13 uh, with two home runs and three RBIs in the ALDS against uh, 
against uh, against the Rays in the 2013 ALDS. And in that World Series, he was absolutely phenomenal. Hit 688, two home runs, six RBIs, went 11 out of his uh, 16 at-bats. He was absolutely sensational in that World Series against the, the against the St. Louis Cardinals. And the ALCS against... Four, which he won the MVP. Of course, he had a couple of walk-off hits in that series that kept the Red Sox alive. And in that series, he had 387, three home runs, 11 RBIs, went 12 for 31 in that series, uh, and uh, and had and had a slugging percentage of 7.42 and an on-base percentage of 4.57. So just an absolutely phenomenal career. David Ortiz, our flowers go to him. Now the controversy that that lies is that David Ortiz, that he failed a drug test back in, that he was reported in the New York Times that he had failed a drug test regarding steroids. And the hypocrisy and the double talk lies that if, it, well, if you're going to keep Bonds and Clemens out of the Hall of Fame for steroids. How do you turn around in the same breath and let David Ortiz in? Now, my philosophy is this. If you fail a drug test, you fail a steroid test, and you test positive for steroids, you don't, you're banned from the Hall of Fame. Simple. It's harsh, but, it, but if, you want to make it a, if you want to make it black and white, cut and dry... By the letter of what I think should be the law, David Ortiz shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame because he had that because he had that stare, that positive steroid test. Now, the only reason why I don't feel murky about Ortiz and Cooperstown is because he had a Hall of Fame career after the after the positive test. He cleaned up his act. He wasn't known as a quote unquote Hall of Famer at that time, juicing to try to break records and try to make himself an immortal. He got caught with his pants down around his ankles with the steroids, cleaned up his act and be- cleaned up his act and became a Hall of Fame player, uh all natural free of free of steroid use. So if you were to bend the rules and have that gray area inconsistency, I would have voted David Ortiz in and kept Bonds and Clemens out. But if you want to say, hey Jai, you know, gotta be consistent, letter of the law, either he's in or he's out with the steroid guys I would hate it, but I have to keep him out. I wouldn't like keeping Dave Ortiz out at the Hall of Fame, but I'd feel a lot better with Bonds and Clemens being out than I would be with Ortiz being out. Especially Bonds, because, and I get it, Bonds was a Hall of Fame talent, Hall of Fame player. If you grew up a baseball fan in the 1990s, you know, you you loved watching Barry Bonds play. But the bottom line is that he, he did it to himself. Actions have consequences. You can't go out there and break the rules, be Im- be immoral about you know about what you put into your body to gain a to gain a physical competitive edge. So you hit the ball nine miles, hit the ball out of the ballpark, and uh, and chase after Maris's single season record and try t- and uh, and break Hank Aaron's record as as you know as the home run king. Chasing Willie Mays and everything else. He just, you, you cannot do that. 
I'm sorry. I don't want to sit up here and listen to the crap well, that, that I hear from people all the time on social media and everywhere else. Well, everybody else was doing it. What difference does it make? You know, it wasn't illegal then at the time. Everybody in baseball was juicing, which hey, I don't believe. It was there a substantial amount of players juicing. Yes, but my goodness gracious, I mean, I mean, I mean that. I mean, that's one of like the dumbest excuses I've ever heard of. So what? It, what if you if you go to a party? So that's basically saying if you go to a party where there's weed and alcohol there, whatever everybody everybody's uh, getting wasted, getting wasted, uh, sipping vodka tonics and, uh, and 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 passing and smoking a blunt. No, the majority of the people. That uh, that are at that or that are within that community might be, but not, but not every single human being is uh, is puff puff passing and uh, drinking their favorite uh, adult alcoholic beverage. I people say it all the time. Well, everybody everybody was juicing. No, not everybody was juicing. Was there a substantial amount of players that were during that point in time in the in the in the mid late nineties? Yes, not everybody. I mean, give me a break. Uh, and, 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 and again, if that was the case, two wrongs don't make a right. What, everybody else is going to jump off a bridge so you're going to join them? I mean, please. It's, it's about having common sense and, and, uh, and, and, have, and having uh, a, good, uh, a, a sense of integrity and good morals and values about yourself. And taking steroids, being, uh, being deceitful and being uh, slick about it, that's, that's not the right that's not the right and morally right thing to do especially when you're trying to chase and break records that you all that you know good and well is not being a set slash broken legitimately got to be honest it doesn't matter if they never you know quote unquote by the letter of the law tested positive for steroids all you got to do is look at Barry Bonds, you know, and, and look at Barry Bonds in the 1990s and look at how he looked in 2002, 2003, 4, 5, and so on. That's all you got to do. Barry Bonds then, and then Barry Bonds, essentially look at Barry Bonds as a Pittsburgh Pirate, his body, his physique, and look at how, what Barry Bonds looked like as a San Francisco Giant, night and day. I mean, unless that there's some unknown science that we didn't know about 15 plus years ago. I mean, what human being you know, you know, body uh, uh, flagrantly changes like that naturally without any PEDs or interference with man-made science? I mean, come on, people. So, and again, I understand he was a Hall of Famer before steroids, and the steroids made him an immortal. Actions have consequences. He should have thought. He should have thought about that before he decided to juice. It's 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 a harsh reality, but it's the bottom line. It's the truth. Actions have consequences. Don't want to have to worry about that and being answered questions to Congress. Just don't cheat. Simple. Don't want to deal with the consequences of cheating. The, 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 solution is, the solution is simple. Just don't cheat. Just don't cheat. Why? Why did he decide to cheat it? Because he got jealous of, 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 uh, of, of McGuire and Sosa. And it ain't no coincidence why, uh, why uh, greed and jealousy... Are one of the are both uh, a part of the uh, seven deadly sins. Ain't no surprise. His his jealousy and his greed for more attention 
is going, is going to cost him a place that he would have been already in had not he stayed the course and done the right thing and not juiced because he didn't need to. He only juiced because he was jealous and it made him an immortal so he could break Aaron's home run record. Bottom line. And from the people that I hear about discuss Clemens is that Clemens, you know, was and it was a bigger outcry for Bonds not getting in than Clemens because I feel like I get the I got the consensus from social media that uh, that Clemens was a mar- was borderline on making a Hall of Fame or not, and then when he tested and then when he took steroids and he was with the Toronto Blue Jays, then that's when he became a, a uh, became a Hall of Famer. But I heard more of a of a louder outcry for Barry Bonds than I did Clemens. So Clemens, if, if that's the case, and I, I, what, it was before my time, if that's the case, he shouldn't be in. He was borderline to begin with, naturally takes PDs and, become, and becomes an all-time great. He shouldn't get in, especially him. Bonds is different. It's a different argument because he was a Hall of Famer before steroids. The steroids just made him an immortal and the quote-unquote home run king. I understand that there's the gray area. You can't keep Bonds out and keep Ortiz in when by the letter of the law, Bonds never, you know, broke a rule as far as steroids is concerned. But we all knew it was it, it wasn't the right thing to do. And and that and that he was and that he broke an unwritten a quote unquote unwritten rule at the time, and that it wasn't moral for him to be juicing and taking performance enhancing drugs. To uh, you know, to chase Mays and uh, and uh, and Aaron with the home run record. We 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 all know that. If if you know better, you do better. You know, it it, it isn't necessarily the letter of the law, you know, for a you know for a married person to go out and uh, and sleep with someone they met at the they met at the bar during happy hour. They aren't, they aren't breaking a, 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 a state or a federal law, but, but, it's, but it's not, but it's breaking a moral law, and it's not the right thing to do. It's an amoral thing to do. To a similar set of circumstances, it is with taking steroids when it was a point in time where it wasn't necessarily by the letter of the law deemed illegal. And I understand that you know, well, they baseball made money off of these guys it, with the home run chase and the home run record saved the sport after the '94 strike. They made money off of them. Who are they to not to throw them a bone in return to let them into Cooperstown? Which is all fair. I get that. And baseball and Bug Sea League is just as guilty for turning a blind eye to it as as the steroid using participants. So everybody's guilty here, and there's guilty parties on all sides. But but what's wrong is wrong, and they don't deserve to make it. Use steroids. You're a steroid user or suspected of using steroids. There's obvious physical evidence proving that you use steroids. Ivan Rodriguez, who's a steroid user, shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. He's in it anyway. I mean, those guys should not be in. Bottom line, you make the you make the Hall of Fame by playing the game the right way. And not juicing. You know, for everybody to love to sit up here and say, well, everybody did steroids. Well, Derek Jeter, the earlier parts of Jeter's career was during the steroid. It was during, you know, the height of the steroid era. He never juiced. 
Derek Jeter is one of the greatest baseball players of the 21st century of this generation. He never juiced, which is another kind of argument I have to everybody who loves to throw the well, everybody juiced argument. And it's, not, it's simply just not true. And if it was, two wrongs don't make a right. And just because everybody else is doing it, that makes it right. Everybody else decides to rob a bank, so, so, that, so that gives you a pass you know, to, to the police when you get up and decide to rob one. That's not how the real world works, guys. Pay attention. It's not real life. But I understand the gray area that exists. I get it. I get it. But hey, if you don't want to face the consequences, bonds, don't don't do the steroids. It's that simple. It's that simple. I get it, you know, the inconsistencies, baseball make money off of these guys during the home run chase and see a league for whatever the reason is in the Hall of Fame, via the executives committee, not the writers, via the executive committee. I get that, that there's inconsistencies, hypocrisies, and gray areas. I, I understand all that. But if, if you want to, but they, they shouldn't be in. I'm sorry. They cheated the game. They ruined and they spoiled the record books. They did. You, know, you can't deny it. They did. Everybody knows that Bonds is... Over 600-plus home runs are not legitimate. He's not the real home run king. Hank Aaron is, God rest his soul. He's the home run king. Now, the issue that I do have with baseball is that if you ended up knowing in the end that Bonds cheated to break the home run records, why does his stats still hold as credible yet He's yet he's not allowed to be in the Hall of Fame. So let me get this straight. He statistically now we all know that he that he isn't. I mean, and if you think that he is, you need your freaking head examined. Uh, and, 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 you, and you need and you just my you're 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 lost and you're absolutely clueless if you think that Barry Bonds is a legitimate home run king. But if if his stats by by according to the stat sheet. Officially, on paper, if he if 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 baseball and, and the numbers recognize him as the home run king, why isn't he inducted into Cooperstown? If his stats still count, why doesn't he get into the Hall of Fame based on his stats? If he cheated and if he if he broke the rules and broke a moral code by cheating and juicing to to break and set all those records that he did, fine. Here's what you do. He doesn't he doesn't get into the Hall of Fame and you take his home run records away. And whatever time you either suspect or or there's beyond a reasonable doubt that you that you think that he began juicing, all of his stats from there on out are nullified. They're wiped away clean. Like like they didn't even happen. Like NCAA, you break a rule, you vacate, you vacate your records, you vacate your wins, you vacate your your, your quote unquote final four appearances and your vacating championship. It's the same deal here. Same thing everybody else was kicking and screaming about with the Houston Astros. They cheated. They broke a rule. Take away the championship. Bonds is a cheating fraud. Take away his home run and all of, all, and all of the records and all of the statistical numbers he put up while he was under the influence of steroids. But no, we'll keep that, and you know we'll keep him out of the we'll keep him out of the Hall of Fame. When getting into the Hall of Fame is based on those numbers that baseball still recognizes because he, his name and his numbers are still within the game's history book. 
which is a major, major hypocrisy and inconsistency that, that, I, that, that every Bond supporter has a right to stand up on, you know, and scream and yell from the rooftops about. Every right. And they're not wrong. They're not wrong. But the bottom line is, you know, don't want to deal with the consequences and dealing with that, don't cheat. And the fact, and it, and it is petty, and we dealt with this for years, not just in baseball, but with the NFL too, when the writers kept uh, kept uh, Terrell Owens out of the hall for all of those years because they, because they didn't like him, that he wasn't warm and fuzzy with him, which, which is an absolute disgrace. The fact that these baseball writers essentially get to... Uh, Get to um, put their get to input their emotions and their personal opinions on players and on guys that are on the ballot, you know, and input their own little personal agenda, their personal opinion on them is, is not right. It's wrong, and and it's abusing the vote. You know, who cares whether or not you like the guy? Is he did did he put up Hall of Fame type numbers and and is he a Hall of Fame player in your eyes? Your opinion on him. The player and your opinion on him, on on that guy as a person, as a human being, is ir- is irrelevant. You know, Kurt Schilling is a piece of filth human, Hall of Fame baseball player. At least when you know, if you're going to let you know the likes of Mike Mussina in, Hall of Fame player. I if 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 I got Kurt Schilling on this show to talk about you know race relations, politics, COVID, whatever it is. I'd probably hang up on him in two seconds, but when it comes to but when it comes to the work he did as a baseball player, you put a ballot in front of me right now. I'd put a check right next to his name. Personal feelings and personal agendas aside, it's straight up: was he a Hall of Fame baseball player or was he not? Not who cares? Nobody cares, and who cares how we treated you? His personality. Irrelevant. None of that matters. It's what he did on the field. And his numbers to back it up. That's what counts and that's what matters. And I think the biggest hypocrisy out of all of this is the fact that, you know, baseball has these deals with MGM and and DraftKings and all these other, you know, sports gambling companies Yet Pete, yet Pete Rose is still banned from the sport, and not a, and, and, and the game's all-time hit hit king, who never cheated, never took steroids, never broke the rules, did everything as a Cincinnati Red and a Montreal Expo legi- legitimately, without taking steroids, without break, without breaking the game's written slash unwritten rules of by juicing, the game's all-time hit king. Left out of the Hall of Fame because he's still banned because of him betting for betting on his team to win as a manager back in the eighties, while baseball is in bed with with all the with all these gambling partners, MGM, uh, DraftKings first to come come to mind because they have direct sponsorships with those two companies. Yeah, Pete Rose is out of the Hall of Fame, which is an absolute disgrace and a travesty in and of itself. That that is the, that's the biggest biggest hypocrisy out of all of this. Is people gonna sit up here and kick and scream about 
you know, about uh, about bonds and clemency to the cows come home. Bottom line is, they did cheat and they did break the rules and uh, and break a morality code by taking PEDs. Pete Rose never did any of that. While baseball, you know, got sponsorship deals left and right with the, with these gambling companies. Yet Pete Rose was banned for life from the sport and out of the Hall of Fame, which is an absolute joke and disgrace in and of itself. Which which I think has to be addressed before we before we realistically sink our teeth into this whole should steroid use get into a Hall of Fame argument. And if you want to not necessarily wipe away clean the steroid era of Major League Baseball, here's what you do. Okay? Here's what you do. You create an, a separate wing in Cooperstown, steroid era, so when you go in there, you see, you know, keep in mind, these, these, are, these are the numbers of guys that took performance-enhancing drugs during this period amount of time in the sport. They'll put, put a little asterisk next to their name and next to their stats. And you put all, and, you know, in that situation, you would put the, the Barry Bonds, the Clemens, the Maguires of the world. You'd put them in the Hall of Fame. The Pudge Rodriguez's. You put them in the Hall of Fame in that little wing, in that little section alone. You, you, you keep them away. You keep them clear of the guys that played the game and got inducted into the Hall of Fame the right way. You make a little wing for them if you want them to be recognized. If you want to, you know, kind of give them their flowers for essentially saving the sport in the, uh, in the late 90s. But the idea also that, you know, that shame on the baseball rider who's superficial pretentious, full of himself, sitting on their high horse with the voter thing. Don't get it. Tw- if, if you think that, that, it's, that it's just the baseball writers that don't want uh, Pete, that don't want Bonds and Clemens and the steroid users in the Hall of Fame, think again. Go ask some of the ex-players from, you know, 70s, 60s, you know, Ask Hank Aaron. Ask God rest his soul when he was alive. Go ask his wife, Billy. Knowing that Bonds illegitimately is the, is the quote-unquote home run king. Which he isn't, but according to the stats, he still is. Go ask him. You don't have to be a baseball writer to hate the fact that, that, that these players... Took, took drugs to make a mockery of the sport. You don't just have to be an old, curmudgeon, base, uh, self-righteous baseball writer to hate that. Go ask the ex-players from back in the day. Or the players within the era that they played against, you know, guys whose jobs were affected with, with their cheating. You know, players who never... Who never, and people always, you know, they screaming and yelled, and I did as well. One of those people who screaming and yelled from the rooftops about what the Astros did with, steal, with the whole stealing signs thing. And, and how that affected players' careers. Because they knew a pitcher's coming. Think about the players and the pitchers whose careers were affected because, because every single ball that Barry Bond saw, he hit out of the ballpark. Or he had to walk. In, intentionally. Think about those guys and, and their livelihoods and their jobs and their lifestyles that have been drastically changed 
because of those guys that that illegally took a substance to improve their play and to get an edge over on on the opposing pitcher. You never, you never, you never, you hear a lot of the Astros, but you never hit out the steroid guys. Got to be honest. Got to call like you see it, and 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 then slice it right down the middle. You have to. Take a break. We turn our attention to the conference championship games. This is the Amatelica TIS podcast. Welcome back to the Amatel I Can Tell You podcast. Championship Sunday in the National Football League. Two games. The last Sunday, sadly, we get, you know, the more than one game on the docket till next September. So enjoy it while you have it with the two get with more than one game being on on the same day. Uh, the final day we have interconference matchups within the sport, the AFC and NFC Championship games. The AFC Championship game, a rematch from the first. It's ironic. They, these two teams played each other the last uh, Sunday in January, and they played each other the first Sunday in January, the second day of the new year on January 2nd, back in Week 17, in which the Bengals took care of business against the Kansas City Chiefs at Paul Brown Stadium to win their first division title since 2015. And they also ended uh, the Chiefs' uh, long, uh, the Kansas City Chiefs' long uh, winning streak in which they had not lost a game since uh, since their October 24th beatdown against the Tennessee Titans on the road. Um, And, of course, you have on the NFC side, a the you know round three round three of 49ers versus Rams the, they also have previously met at SoFi Stadium as a matter of fact um earlier in the month this was back on January the 9th and week 18 of the season of course Rams blew a 17 point deficit uh the Rams who would have had the two seed get knocked down to the get knocked down to the four the Rams make the playoffs the Saints stay out Saints fail to make it, and uh, of course, and the 49ers have been clicking on all cylinders essentially since uh, since that you know ever since that game on the ninth of the month, and they meet again for the second time at SoFi Stadium this month. This time, with of course the higher stakes with the NFC Championship and the and a ticket to Super Bowl Fifty Six in SoFi Stadium in two weeks' time from uh, from Sunday. Uh, this is the fifth time that teams from the same division will uh, will meet in the conference championship game in the last 25 seasons. Of course, you think of uh, you think of the the Seahawks and 49ers in 2013, 
who met in the AFC, who met in the NFC Championship game. That was ironically enough the last time two teams from the same division met in a conference championship game, and it's been the NFC West and the NFC Championship game and back-to-back occurrences in 2013 and here in the 2021 NFL season. Packers Bears in the 2010 game. Who can forget round three of Steelers Ravens at Hines, and in the '99 AFC Championship game, you got the. Expansion Jacksonville Jaguars at the time, uh, losing to the 99 uh, Tennessee Titans. Um, and, uh, you know, enjoy the games, guys. You know, it, you, you'll blink and you'll be kicking. March Madness will be a little ways off. Football season will be over for a good amount of time and you'll be dying for uh, for some NFL for some NFL football, no matter how long the NFL stretches out the season, it feels like the season. At least we get the playoff time. It feels like the season is ju- is just all but so short, uh, and, go- and goes by at the snap of a finger. Um, but you got Rams and 49ers part three, Chiefs and Chiefs and Bengals with the re- with uh, with the rematch. Uh, and uh, the 49ers and Rams, you know, the winner ascent, the winner wins the NFC Championship, punches the ticket to the Super Bowl, and gets to pull and gets to essential. Well, the Rams win or lose, they stay in LA to begin with because they're the home team. But if the 49ers win, they essentially get to call SoFi Stadium and uh, and uh, and Los Angeles and the greater Los Angeles area their home for the next three weeks as they will be the NFC representative in Super Bowl 56 and have the opportunity to a a win their seventh straight game against the Rams you know three game sweep of the Rams in the 2021 season beat them at SoFi in their building twice to go to the Super Bowl win the conference and oh by the way they get the they uh oh by the way they get to play on the Rams home turf in two weeks' time at Super Bowl 56, which will drive the Ram fan crazy. Uh, but we will begin with the AFC Championship game first and turn our attention to the NFC and get on to some and move and move this program along. The AFC Championship game, Chiefs are seven-point favorites. The recipe is really simple. I'll do a Bengals perspective first, and then I'll do Kansas City. For the Bengals perspective, A, it's completely unacceptable and heads should, regardless of what happens, you know, eyebrows need to be raised. If Joe Burrow somehow, some way, I don't expect this to happen again. Uh, hopefully, Lord willing, knock on wood, um, that uh, that Joe Burrow gets sacked nine times. Uh, so you got to protect Joe Burrow. That's the first thing. You cannot allow Joe Burrow to get sacked four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine times in a game. Keep the sacks to 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 a to a minimum of three, three get sacked three times or less, and it's kind of like you know once every quarter or so. And if Burrow goes a whole quarter without getting sacked, that that would be that would be your ideal game plan. Uh, of course, they got Chris Jones and Melvin Ingram on that Kansas City defensive front, which has which. Uh, outside of how their performance against Buffalo, has done a phenomenal job this season. Very spotty. D- I'm not counting the Steeler game, though, of course. The last couple of games Kansas City's played, their defense has not been great. Week 17 against the Bengals, of course, was absolutely atrocious. 
against the Broncos the week after, and Denver wasn't that much better. Not counting the Steeler game because their offense is an absolute waste of time. Ben Roethlisberger made it official on Thursday that he's retiring. Thank God it was about time, a few years overdue, but that's neither here nor there. And of course, they allow Gabriel Davis to be the, the first and so far the only wide receiver in the National Football League to catch four touchdown passes in a single playoff game. And Josh Allen just played absolutely out of his mind last uh, Sunday night uh, as well. So the Bengals got to protect Joe Burrow as best they possibly can. Three sacks or less, you should be in good shape. Joe Burrow, get the ball out of his hands in a timely manner. Don't hold on to the football uh, longer than you need to. Throw the football away if the plays are not. Don't risk throwing an interception. Don't take a sack. Throw the ball away. So, A, you don't lose yardage, and B, you don't run the risk of yourself getting hurt, getting sacked, and getting your uh, and getting your head and your, and your backside pounded into the Arrowhead Stadium grass time after time after time after time after time again. That's the first thing. Second thing is from the Bengals offensively is you got to get Joe Mixon involved. He has not had a crazy you know, game where he's rushed over 100 yards running the football uh, so far throughout this uh, Cincinnati uh, playoff run, but you got to keep him in the game. You got to keep him in the game. You got to keep him a part of the offense. He scored the Bengals' only touchdown in the game against Tennessee last Saturday. Although he didn't put up gaudy numbers, I believe he had just over 50 yards rushing in the game. He did play a uh, a uh, an important role in the Bengals' offense that had a off day for their standards, only scoring 19 points. Uh, you know, 13 out of the well, you take away the well, you take away the six, or uh, excuse me, you take away the seven. Nine, where twelve out of these out of the nineteen points were via of, uh, Evan McPherson's leg. Uh, so the so you know you got to have Joe Mixon involved. Can't be that one-dimensional offense. I understand. Now again, if the game heads in a position where they have to put the ball in Joe Burrow's hands, he's going to have to throw his way to an AFC championship uh, to an AFC championship title. Then so be it. But the guilt, but the goal and the game plan right out the gate should be to put the ball in Burrow's hands when they when you know when the game is wide open right there in front of you and you have an opportunity to send a message to Kansas City that you're not playing around AFC championship AFC championship game you hit a batch helmets and, and you know Joe Mix is going to be a part of this game so get used to seeing them get used to tackling them get used to hitting them um but not just but you know you want if you got to incorporate them in a game plan early just to see where the game goes what you know Evan Ford game you know, you, you're playing from a deficit or you feel like that, you know, the clock really isn't your friend. you got to put the ball in Burrow's hands and, and outscore Kansas City via a huge chunk play and trying to wear out their defense. Then, you know, if you, if Mixon only gets about 12, 13 carries for 47 yards, I won't I won't kick yell and scream. But, uh, but, you know, you can't come out the gate and say right out the gate, you know, Right from the get-go, Joe Burrow's going to have to throw this ball 40, 50 times a game because odds are that that's usually a recipe for disaster. So get Joe Burrow, excuse me, get Mixon involved in the offense and a pass game out of the backfield. Run the football effective, effectively early on. See, see where you're at. See where Kansas City's at as far as stopping the run. And then offensively for Cincinnati, you know, they have not had that uh, – that signature stellar offensive eye-popping uh, box score on fire type of performance that we have seen essentially 
essentially and realistically since the Chief game in week seven and week seventeen. You don't count the Brown game, no that game did not matter. Nobody cares about that game. Joe Burrow did not play, didn't even make the trip to Cleveland week eighteen. But the Bengals have not had an explosive game offensively since that week seventeen thirty four thirty one victory over Kansas City on the second of the month. You know, they, they, they a pedestrian twenty six points against Vegas where they had issues putting the ball in the end zone. Uh, inside uh, inside of uh, the red zone, inside of Vegas' 20-yard line. And their offense, although it was given many of opportunities with the three Tannehill interceptions, where they only could, I believe, out of the three Tannehill interceptions, only mustered up uh, a field goal out of the three gifts, courtesy of Tennessee. They only put the money in zone once, failed to crack 20. They scored 19 points. That's not going to be good enough. Going against Kansas City Chiefs offense. That has been clicking on all cylinders. Okay, that's been clicking on all cylinders. Dropped forty plus points to the buff uh, to the Buffalo Bills last Sunday. Dropped forty two points to Buffalo. They've they've dropped forty two points back to back games. Forty two against Pittsburgh. Forty two against Buffalo. Twenty eight against Denver. Okay, thirty one against thirty one against you guys against us on the second of January. Thirty uh thirty six against Pittsburgh. The first matchup. 34 points against uh, against the Chargers on that on that uh, Thursday night uh, classic on the 16th of December. 48 against Vegas. You know, the, Kansas City has Kansas City hasn't uh, hasn't scored less than 28 points since uh, since since their first win against Denver on the on the 12th of the on the 12th of December. They've scored. They've scored. 48, 34, 36, 34, 28, 42 back to back since. Since. So you got to be able to score. Uh, unless, unless something unforse- unforeseen happens, you can't beat Kansas City, put up 26, 19 points, and expect to win. You can't. The same offense we saw in week 17 has got to show up on Sunday. Period. Case closed. End of story. Bottom line. Offense got to be able to show up. Got to be able to produce. You know, and and the idea, and you know, and with the Bengals, a a from a Cincinnati perspective, you know, you got plenty of options offensively. This could be the Joe Mixon game. This could be a Jamar Chase game. It could be a Tyler Boyd game or a T Higgins. Your offense is so balanced, so well balanced. You have so many, and you have such a diverse. Buffet of of options you can you can give the either th- you can give the ball to that can be the, uh, the 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 playmaker of the day on the offensive side of the football that you don't have to key in on one guy you know and if you're a Kansas City fan you're you're especially after the way your defense performed against Denver in Week 18 Cincinnati the week before that when Jamar Chase was just cooking the Kansas City Chiefs secondary for, for you know for barbecue. Over, I mean, do I have to go back and read the stats? I certainly will. You don't even have to ask me. Where, uh, where Jamar Chase caught 11 passes for 266 receiving yards, caught three touchdowns in the afternoon. Joe Burrow only had nine incomplete passes and threw for 446 and four touchdown passes. So you have that. Your defense wasn't great against one of the worst offenses in the sport in Denver the final weekend of the regular season. 
Pittsburgh game doesn't count because their offense stinks. And then your defense, you know, I understand no Tyron Matthew, who is a concussion, and he's questionable heading into the game on Sunday. But your performance, especially with your secondary, a lot left to be desired coming out of that Buffalo game from last Sunday. And uh, and if you're a Chiefs fan, the thing that I'm making nervous is that they're going to be so – uh, caught up in and and so petrified on not allowing Jamar Chase to drop 200 plus receiving yards and three touchdowns on their head again that it may open up the open up the opportunity for T Higgins, Tyler Boyd, Mixon, CJ Uzama to get the ball get the, and, and 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 many and many of uh, of frequent times and next thing you know you blink and the, and it's the CJ Uzama or T Higgins or Tyler Boyd game where they just turn on a switch and and they, and they don't look back and they just completely take over and dominate the game which for a Kansas City Chiefs secondary that has been suspect all season long all season long and uh, coming off of that emotional overtime victory against uh, Buffalo the week before, Tyron Matthew coming back with uh, possibly he's listed as questionable with the concussion injury. If I was Kansas City, you know, don't don't take and I don't th- now I do not believe for a second that they're going to take Cincinnati seriously. But don't just if you're a Chiefs fan, if you're a member of the Chiefs organization, don't get caught up in the fact of hey, all we got to do is just stop Jamar Chase and it's game over. No. As long as Joey B is able to throw the football and T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd are on the field, you, you still are going to have problems. You're going to have issues. And if you're a Chief fan, that would worry you, that would concern you. If you're a Bengal fan, it has you drooling at the mouth. And from a defensive side of things for Cincinnati... Listen, the one of the many bright spots, one of the many underrated reasons why we're sitting in the AFC Championship game uh, heading into Sunday is because of the timely performances from our defense. Defense, uh, the defense only gave up, only gave up two touchdowns to uh, only gave up two touchdowns to Tennessee. Tennessee only scored 16 points against them last week. A clutch uh, stop on Derrick Henry for the two-point conversion. They stopped uh they stopped the uh the, the, the Titans on 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 third and one and on in fourth and short uh, de- uh early in the fourth quarter when when uh when Kansas City Kansas City when Tennessee needed it uh needed that needed that uh needed those two uh, or those yeah those two plays in specific back to back tremendously in the game they stopped Derrick Henry on a two point conversion uh interception from Jesse Bates to begin the game on the opening play from on the on the Titans first play from scrimmage you had an interception from Mike Hilton, a tremendous read on the screenplay and when after uh, the Tennessee running back had that tremendous fifty-plus uh, yard run to get the ball within the to get the ball within the red zone in Cincinnati territory. Next play, Mike Hill makes a tre- make tremendous read by him. Makes he makes a tremendous play, tips the ball up to himself to get the interception to end what to end the drive that I believe would have resulted in a touchdown for Tennessee. That you can make the argument change the complexity and the momentum of the game. And then of and then of course the uh, Logan Wilson getting the uh, interception, giving Cincinnati a short field to set up Evan McPherson for the 52-yard game-winning field goal uh, in the closing seconds of uh, regulation against Tennessee 
uh, in the fourth quarter last Saturday. And then you go back to the Vegas game. Of course, you had Jermaine Pratt uh, catch the game-clinching streak, losing streak-breaking interception to put the game on nice uh, 26-19, where Vegas also failed to break the 20-point uh, threshold in which Vegas uh, struggled in that game uh, inside the red zone offensively. So if you're Cincinnati, you continue your stout red zone defense which has been fantastic throughout this playoff run in, the, in, the, in these back-to-back games. You'd be naive, again, unless something, un, unless something unforeseen takes place. You'd be, you'd be naive to think that, that Kansas City is going to, or excuse me, that the Bengals are going to hold Kansas City to less than 23, 21 points in the game. If they score 20, 21, 23, 24, and you win the game, you'd consider that, you would consider that uh, a victory, you'd be a fool to consider that they, they, they we're going to shut out Kansas City. They're going to score, you know, 13, 14, 16 points like you held, uh, like you held Tennessee the week before. But I expect timely uh, red zone defense from the Bengals, and uh, and see, you know, and they missed on a. The Bengals could have had about two, three interceptions in the first meeting that the Bengals uh, secondary could not, for whatever the reason, hold on to in Week 17. If Mahomes finds them. And uh, and gives the Bengals secondary a gift or two or maybe even three. Catch the football and take advantage of the opportunity. And seize the moment more than anything else. Seize the moment. Ball's thrown your way, Eli Apple, Jesse Bates, Awuzie. Catch the ball. Because in this because because in this setting, you know you you won't sleep for months. If you, if you drop an interception, it has the ability to change the ties of a football game. You, you won't sleep. Period. You won't sleep. But if you're the Bengals' defense, you know, they were X. They only held Kansas City to the three points in the second half of that game. You, for, from a Bengals fan perspective, you want them to, to, uh, to repeat that performance this week, continue the stout defense of play that they've had the majority, you know, throughout this playoff run. Uh, and you, you know, and my my fear heading into the game of Week 17 was don't let Kelsey and Hill go nuts. They did not, especially Trap. Now Kelsey caught a touchdown pass in the first half, which I thought, oh, here we go, Travis Kelsey game is going to take off this game, run rough shot all over the Bengals in the city. Uh, in the city of which he went to uh, college at. Let's see if the Bengals can uh, shock the world and keep Travis Kelsey and Chiry Killinchek, who were absolutely sensational against the Bills the week before. Let's see if they can keep them up and hold them quiet uh, heading in the championship game at 3 o'clock come Sunday, uh, come Sunday afternoon. And then from a Bengals perspective, and, you know, and the Chiefs, you know, if there's anybody who has a little bit of quote-unquote pressure heading into this game, it's Kansas City. Now, granted, all the opportunities you would think would present itself that Burrow and, and Zach Taylor are going to be tight. First ever AFC Championship game appearance during their first year of their first ever playoff run in the National Football League together. Chiefs has been there, done that, uh, got a t-shirt, literally. Fourth straight AFC Championship game appearance. Uh, they're back-to-back a they're back-to-back AFC champions, uh, Super Bowl champions, two seasons removed, fourth straight time they've gotten this game in their building, which has never been done in the history of the sport, I believe. Um, so, which is a phenomenal compliment to Andy Reid, by the way. 
but uh, but but it's it's them. They're the ones, you know. It's it's become a it's become a routine with Kansas City. Although the press with them is Super Bowl hangover, rough start to begin to begin the regular season. They lost to Cincinnati earlier in the season, which, in my opinion, does more uh, benefit to Kansas City than it does Cincinnati. In my honest and humble opinion. Um. And the, and the fact that they're expected to go back to the Super Bowl and win it because 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 uh, Kansas City is be, is better than the Rams and uh, and or the 49ers if if they end up making it back to the Super Bowl for a third straight time. So all the pressure is on them to get back to Super Bowl and right their wrongs from the previous season. All the pressure is on them to do so. Cincinnati, although there is an element of that they'll be tight, they are the road team. That Rosh's Kansas City Arrowhead crowd, Burrow playing his uh, first ever full season National Football League, second year player, year year removed from ACL surgery. Zach Taylor's first ever AFC Championship game appearance as a head coach and his first ever playoff run as the head coach of the Cincinnati Bengals. All of the formulas is there for Cincinnati to be tight. What the pressure's on Kansas City. As Kansas City loses, season's deemed a failure. Win or lose, regardless what happens for this game for Cincinnati. No matter if they lose this game by a touchdown, a field goal, or by 30 points. Win or lose, no matter which way you slice it, however they win, however they lose, the, their season is a, is, a, is a success. You know, if you would have told me back in September that the Cincinnati Bengals were going to make the AFC Championship game and play the Chiefs of all teams in in it, I would have I, I would I got I would have told you this. I got a bridge to sell you near near the Chesapeake. Nobody in now the now members of the Bengals organization did. I give them all the credit in the world. That's why you know all you gotta do is believe within yourself and each other, and you can you can do great things. But outside of the men, outside of the men within that Bengal locker room, it's fair to say for the most part that nobody in America suspected nor predicted the Bengals to be playing an AFC Championship, winning their division on top of it as well. So win or lose, matter if they lose by 50 or win by 50, their season's a success. Win or lose, they're playing with house money. They got the, they got the monkey off their back, first winning season since 2015, first division championship since 2015, first playoff victory in 31 years. They got their first road playoff victory last week, beaten beaten the by you know by on paper the best record and the, the best team in the conference. We had the best record in the Tennessee Titans. They're playing with house money. Kansas City presses on them to get back to another Super Bowl and possibly win it. Just the way it is. Just the way it is. Sounds unfair, but it's, it's the nature of the beast. Pressures on Kansas City to get back. It is. And I would sure love the Bengals to uh, make sure Kansas City doesn't make it to a third straight Super Bowl. Boy, would I love it. Um, you know, it would, if, if they lost this game, it would bother me. Speaking as a Bengals fan, it would bother me. But, um, you know. I've looked at it from the perspective all week long as win or lose, our season's a success. 
is just that when you have a seat at the table, you want to feast and you want to eat with the with the grown adults and the big boys. And, you know, nothing in this life and nothing in sports is, is guaranteed. Although our future is bright, we do have a quarterback. And I'd be floored if you told me this would be the first and last time in the Zach Taylor, Joe Burrow era that they would get to an AFC championship game. I don't, exp- I don't suspect that to be the truth at the end of the day. But again, you don't know what you don't know. And you got to seize the moment. You got to seize the opportunity. Nothing in this life, nothing in sports is guaranteed. You don't know when you're going to get back. Pretty sure Buffalo thought they were going to get back to the AFC Championship game. They lost in the second round that heart in heartbreaking fashion to Kansas City. 2019 Titans thought they were going to be back in 2020. Couldn't get out of the first round and lost to the Ravens. 2018, same story with uh, with uh, now 2018 is a poor example. 2018 is a poor example. Uh, 2017 with with the, with Jacksonville. I predicted Jacksonville to go back to the Super Bowl in 20, you know, to go back to the Super Bowl. They didn't make it back. They make they didn't even make it back to the NFC Championship game. And nobody expected them to be there. Got to seize the moment, got to seize the opportunity. The Ben Bell and Brown Pittsburgh Steelers together only played in one AFC Championship game. You got to seize the moment. Seize seasons of success either way you slice it, but you got to seize the moment and take advantage of the opportunity. And I hope the Bengals do so. And I hope that all the talk that uh, the, the the Bengals cute story, nice little season. I worry about the pass rush, Kansas City this, Kansas City that, Chiefs, 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 blah, 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 blah. I, ho- I hope that that was providing quite a bit of uh, bulletin board material for Cincy this week. I hope it was. And I hope during practice while they were pumping in crowd noise at Paul Brown that they were playing that stupid tomahawk chop on repeat. Because you are going to hear that 9,000 times on Sunday. To the NFC side, 49ers and the Rams. San Francisco, you know, this is really a pick game in my honest opinion. Flip it a coin, you know, flip it a coin and see and see, see what happens. Because, you know, it's the third time in, what, a, a three-week period or thereabouts that these two teams have played against each other in the same building. You know, the Rams, they've lost six straight to San Francisco. Part of you feels like that they're due to end that streak and get that win. And then on the flip side, it's like, you know, they've lost six straight for a reason. You know, during a lot of the times, a lot the, the majority of the time, the main reason why the 40, why the why the Rams come up short against the 49ers is because the 49ers just straight punch the Rams in the proverbial mouth and, uh, and are just more physical and just more gritty and get down and dirty with it than the 40 than the Rams are that have the that have the tendency to be a much more of a flashy and finesse type of football team and then of course you know you think back well you know the Rams maybe they're due maybe and you know Jimmy Garoppolo and their offense you know has not necessarily was uh was pathetic against uh was pathetic against Green Bay last week but then you have in the back of your mind that you know that the Rams were were a Cooper Cup reception away, a Cooper Cup and a Matt Gay field goal away from uh, from possibly losing a game, which they had a twenty-seven to three lead to Tom Brady and Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So and you know fumbling the football all over the place. McVay wasn't exactly a, a Hall didn't uh, showcase his Hall of Fame. 
his future probably Hall of Fame potential acumen in the second half of that game, fumbling the ball left and right, Acres, uh, Acres, Cup fumbled, uh, Reader who missed the tackle on the uh, on the soon to be game tying uh, touchdown run by Leonard Fournette, Jalen Ramsey got uh, got taken to the cleaners by Mike Evans in the game and allowed Brady to get into a rhythm in the second half. So. Yeah. And then, of course, on the flip side, you know, San Francisco with their with their defensive front, which is again a defensive front that is big, but as as athletic and as fast and as elusive as any defensive front you can find in football. I expect them to get after Matthew Stafford and make his life a living hell a little bit throughout the sequence of the game, as they did Rodgers last week. And I expect the Von Miller and Aaron Donald to show up again. Another Aaron Donald specifically more to, or talking to talking to him to show up again and see if they can get Jimmy G off his rock a little bit. I think, in my honest opinion, the first to score twenty points wins this game. I expect it to be very low scoring. You know, the final score twenty to seventeen, twenty thirteen, something like that, or twenty to ten or twenty to seven. Mo- the, the the most points I see the winning team scoring is is twenty is twenty four. But is this a pickup game? You know, it, it are the you could go it are are the Rams due ending their losing streak to San Francisco and is Matthew Stafford due first year with the Rams he goes to a Super Bowl or it's more the same of the Rams shooting themselves in the foot and beating themselves with McVay and everything else and it's retribution and payback for the 49ers you know being injured to Helen back in twenty back in twenty twenty a season ago. And is it a payback for them coming oh so close to beating Kansas City in the Super Bowl down in my down in uh, Miami of February of 2020? But it's, it's honestly it's a pick'em game. The both you know defense is uh, the Rams are a more complete team, but I don't entirely quietly trust them. I don't entirely trust the Rams. They the, they got the better quarterback. And more of a more well-rounded team because of the quarterback advantage of Stafford over Garoppolo, but you know, outside of Garoppolo, 49ers got some playmakers on offense. Ayuk, Debo Samuel, who's a freaking beast, um, and George Kittle, the tight end, which uh, which all three should be taken into consideration when punching up the game plan heading into this game accordingly. So I mean, who 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 knows? Who honestly knows? And typically, you know, in years past, you know, when it, when when two division rivals meet for a third time in the conference championship, typically the team has had the edge on them all season long. Is the one that is the one that walks away uh, victorious in the conference championship. Perfect example: Steelers swept the Ravens in the 2008 season in the regular season. Now, granted, they were the home team with the leg up on Baltimore. They were the home team heading into that Baltimore AFC Championship game in 08, and they ended up three-game sweep and beat the Ravens again for a third time. So it'll be interesting heading into Sunday's games. Looking forward to it. Come back to close up and wrap up the program. The Amatelicatelia's podcast rolls on. Welcome back to the Amatelicatelia's podcast. Before I give you my conference championship 
picks against the spread. I just got one little thing I want to get off my chest before we close out the program. I heard a lot of talk and chatter on social media and throughout the internet and on television this week about the overtime rules and the aftermath of the Bills-Chiefs game. Uh, Let me just say something to you guys that, you know, that – uh, that are so obsessed with watching football, it's 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 everything else be damned. Here's the bottom line, okay? Especially in the playoffs, and I and I love football, love it, love it, love it, love it, love it. The 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 seventeen eighteen Sundays of the regular season are, are some of the are, are there's there's nothing compared to them in sports. But and, and NFL playoff football is the best type of professional playoffs. Is the best play is the best playoffs out of the four, uh, out of the four North American male uh, professional sports leagues that there are. But you know the idea that we're just gonna you know throw out the overtime rules and uh, both teams get a possession and we'll play full quarters and everything else be damned because I want to watch playoff football and watch Allen and. And uh, Allen and Mahomes throw touchdown throw uh, throw touchdown passes to the cows. Come on, I mean, please, I mean, guys. I, again, I love playoff football, and I and, and those two guys put on a show like you've never seen before, and it was nothing that I've ever seen before. Probably will ever again. I I get that. I understand all that, but especially in the playoffs, nobody wants to watch a five six hour playoff game. A four, a four, five, six-hour playoff game. Nobody want, especially when it's, especially when it's a night game. We all gotta get up and 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 go about our regular daily lives and routines. Uh, you know, come come Monday morning. Nobody wants to sit through a, a four, five-hour football game. It's just, I'm so, I understand that they were playing well and the game was entertaining. It was entertaining as all get up and almost sit there and watch a, a a marathon game. Well, we're going to sit up here and we're just going to keep on playing and playing and playing and playing and playing uh, until somebody eventually fails to throw a touchdown pass. I mean, come. I mean, we got to be realistic about this at some point. I mean, we're not going to have these guys, you know, throw the football left and right all up and down the field, wearing the defense and the skill players running around all over the field. Tyree Kill, Travis Kelsey, Gabriel Davis, Dawson Knox. Uh, McCall Hardman. I mean, you're gonna have them essentially run their little hearts out to play five, six quarters of playoff football. When when they get, when if when if they win the game, there's a game that they gotta play the following week with 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 uh, with higher stakes. I mean, seriously, this is all I'm hearing. People taking me to task and and and, and, and question and, and and acting like and acting like a. Uh, uh, and acting like a, uh, a, a a smart aleck w- with me on Twitter and on social media and every, every you know about about the overtime rules. Hey, hey, genius! Okay, uh, unless you unless you want to uh, watch Kansas City and Cincinnati on Sunday with uh, you know w- with with Patrick Mahomes, without Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, and Tyree killing the game, I suggest you shut up, deal with the overtime rules, and we'll see you next week. I mean, my and then and then the same people that are moaning, grunting about how you know we should play and how these NFL teams should play over should play overtime uh, football until until whichever team drops dead out of breath first, be the same people that'll be kicking and screaming the following week why why the players are gassed and have nothing left in the championship game. Cincinnati's fresh as a horse played played the day before. 
comes in the arrowhead, they gotta go up against Chad Henney. Why? Because Patrick Mahomes is because Patrick Mahomes is still reeling from the from the five six quarter game he played he played against Buffalo from the week before. I mean, really? I mean, again, I love football as much as anybody, but no one wants to watch four or five hour uh football games that go five, six, seven quarters of overtime. We don't need that. When 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 the winner of the game is going to be compromised because they have a game to play the following week. I mean, I mean, just I mean, just the foolish garbage I, I that came into my Twitter feed earlier earlier throughout this week it drove me crazy. So what we're going to do? We're going to have these guys essentially run all up and down the field until, until they you know run it, run their little hearts and run their little lungs out tired. So you know, run their little hearts and run their little lungs out tired, and uh, and we'll ha- and we'll have nobody of note on a Kansas City or if Buffalo would have won the Buffalo side for the AFC Championship game. To the point where all Cincinnati has to do is show up, and they're and they're the conference champions. I mean, really? Screw player safety. Screw health. Screw the players. You know, getting a significant amount of rest and uh, and 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 their recovery time for playing for the next week. Screw all of that because I want to see Josh Allen and uh, and Patrick Mahomes throw for ten more touchdowns before the night's over. I mean, really? Is the overtime system perfect? No, we could use a little tweaking, but in my honest opinion, it's fine. It's better than seeing Josh Allen. I mean, just think about it. If the overtime rules were different, Allen and Mahomes would still be playing five, six days later after the fact. They'd still be out there slinging it at Arrowhead. I mean, guys, pay attention. All right, please. Screw player safety. Screw the fans that just going to have to deal with traffic getting out of there in in, in the late hours of the night when I got to go up go to work, go to work the next day. Screw screw all that. To hell to hell, to hell with the players want. I understand the players. You know it's playoff football. They want to win a game, but at, but they don't want to run themselves tired in doing so. They want to win the game, but 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 that little but the the AFC divisional against the Buffalo Bills, albeit it was an important game, it was a playoff game, prime time on CBS. It ain't the AFC Championship game, and it ain't the Super Bowl. It's not one of those games where you know you give it all you have, and if your tank is on E at the end of the game, so be it. It was worth it. You won a championship. You win that. You win that game. You still got to play the next week. I mean, what I, what I got in my Twitter feed earlier this week regarding these overtime rules is just absolutely ludicrous. My picks for the conference championship in the National Football League are as follows in the league where they play. For pay. Bengals and Chiefs. You know where I stand. It's the rematch. I'm psyched. I'm hyped. I would, again, for the 9,000th time, I never think that my Cincinnati Bengals would be playing in this game so soon this season. Hell of a run, hell of a season that they've been on. I begrudgingly picked them in the Raider game. I was right. I picked them with confidence in the Tennessee game. 
and I'll and they won and I'll pick them. Lord willing, hopefully I, I, I'm not jinxing them. I'm not. I'm just so freaking confident in my football team. I did pick against them in the Kansas City game the first time, but I won't do that during this playoff run because this team is something special. They're a team of destiny. Give me my Cincinnati Bengals for the first time since 1988 to win the AFC Championship by the final score of 35-28. to 28. Kansas City's favorite by seven points. And in the NFC Championship game between the 49ers and the Rams, to pick them game in my eyes, to be, quite, to be quite honest with you, coin flip, I could see either team winning for a variety amount of uh, reasons and set circumstances. Um, so many magical things is going on with the 49ers this season. And in turn for the... Uh, for the uh, Los Angeles Rams. Rams are a three and a half point favorite. Honestly, I have no idea who's going to win this game. But I'll take a shot in the dark and say that the San Francisco 49ers will win it by the final score of 21 to 17. My conference championship Sunday picks. And if you pay attention properly, that sets the stage for a rematch Super Bowl of Super Bowl 16 and 23 between the San Francisco 49ers and Cincinnati Bengals. Let's hope, Lord willing, we get that matchup. Although, if it's Bengals-Rams, I won't complain either. As long as the Bengals are in the Super Bowl, that, quite frankly, is all I care about. But for the sake of legacy and for the sake of historical significance and breaking all the curses in one year... Why not give us the uh, why, why why not give us the uh, the San Francisco 49ers going up against the Bengals in Super Bowl uh, 56? And I feel like just to add a little anecdote uh, as we close out the program, I I think Super Bowl that the league and that NBC wants is Rams. Uh, as Rams Chiefs because they can talk about that that Monday night game they played back in 2018 in November to the cows come home um, and that I think that'll be the best game with all the offensive firepower and star power on both teams and of course you got uh, players you got uh, playmakers on defense with Chris Jones Ingram uh, Tyron Matthew and then on the Rams with Von Miller. Uh, Jalen Ramsey and and uh, Aaron Donald. And then of course, you know we go fifty plus Super Bowls with, without without a uh, without a team to host a game, and yet we go back to back years where we have a where we have uh, where we have teams playing in their own home stadiums and back to back Super Bowls. So the Super Bowl that the league, quote unquote, in the NFL would want slash like would be Chiefs and the Rams. But the game that would get a lot of juice from a historical significance standpoint, at least in my honest, humble opinion, would be uh, would be 49ers and Bengals. They played each other earlier in the regular season, um, and it was one of the it was one of the uh, season's best regular season games. Went into over went into overtime. Bengals had a great comeback in the fourth quarter. Joey B and the boys. Um, those two teams have played each other in super, of course, not the same two teams exactly, but those two franchises have played each other, 
uh, in previous Super Bowls in the eighty one in the eighty one and eighty eight season Super Bowl sixteen and Super Bowl twenty three the most recent time and NBC has this year's Super Bowl and they had the most recent Super Bowl Super Bowl uh, twenty three so a so NBC during their you know six and a half eight hour pregame. You know, uh, if you know, maybe bring Bob Costas back, Marv Albert, who knows? Uh, could uh, if Marv Albert was working for NBC at the time, I don't even know. But if they wanted, you know, to uh, bring Costas back to kind of talk about that game or whatever, then the pregame that that option would be would be open uh, would be open there. Uh, but from a historical standpoint, a, a from a historical significance piece, Bengals and 49ers would be the way to go. Rams, Rams, and Rams and and Bengals will have a little intrigue because of the fact that uh, because Zach Taylor, Zach that Super Bowl would have a little bit of uh, a little bit of juice and a little bit of a lot of pregame storylines to talk about because of the fact that Zach Taylor was uh, was uh, was McVay's quarterback coach back in 2018, his final season on the Rams coaching staff, which ironically enough was the last time. The Rams got to it was the last time the Rams got back to a Super Bowl and the Rams, you know, trying to and McVeigh trying to right their wrongs from their uh, from their letdown at Super Bowl 53 against New England. And the fact that that was Zach Taylor's last uh, game coached as a member of the Rams coaching staff, the relationship and the connection between him and McVeigh between him and McVeigh. Uh, Stafford, his first year, uh, his first year getting out of the hellhole of the Detroit Lions. Now he's in Super Bowl playing at the home, playing at his home, at his new home stadium. Nevertheless, and the tie-ins with Stafford going all, going through all those years, suffering, and the Bengal fan and the Bengal franchise going on, going through all those years of suffering, not winning a championship, and then all of a sudden the 2021 season comes and it's a complete 180 of what they've been accustomed to for over a decade so i would have a, li- a li- not as much as i believe 49ers and Bengals will but that has a little bit of uh of uh of unique intrigue if you got a Bengals rams uh super bowl uh a Bengals rams super bowl as well i think 49ers Bengals because they because those two franchises have played in two super bowls the second one which was an absolute classic uh, earlier, you know, the, you, you can't tell the history of the Super Bowl and go through the greatest Super Bowls of all time if you don't mention Super Bowl Twenty Three, Bengals Forty Niners. They played each other earlier in the regular season, and you know, a year that the Bengals have uh, have been breaking curses and losing streaks all year long. Wouldn't it be something they get their first championship in the history of the franchise against its against the only team that has been the culprit of the Bengals two Super Bowl. Uh, defeats back in the decade of the 1980s and of course it being 40 years 40 seasons to the date or not to the date but you know 40 years uh later after the 49ers beat the Bengals uh for their first for their first ever NFL Super Bowl championship at the end of the 81 season but 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 the league and and the NBC for ratings would go gaga if they got Chiefs Rams, Chiefs Chiefs 49ers not so much because it was only two years ago when we when we last got that matchup, 
And outside of the fact of the of the of the 49ers trying to get revenge against Kansas City and Kansas City trying to uh, right their wrongs from their letdown against Tampa, there wouldn't be a lot of juice entry getting into that game. And I think that that game could end up if Kansas City could end up beating the uh, beating the bacon off of San Francisco if those teams ever got to another Super Bowl again. If Kansas City were to win, God forbid, uh, on Sunday afternoon, I'd root for the Rams because I think a Ram Chiefs Super Bowl would be a better Super Bowl than uh, than Chiefs and 49ers again. Not to mention we just saw it a short two years ago. That's my husband. If if the if the Bengals win on Sunday, which I hope Lord willing that they do, I I I wouldn't care. I could care less who they play in a championship game. Although although part of me would uh would would be would start to care and end up pulling for the 49ers. One you know to to make uh, Mike and the OC squirm a little bit in his chair. Uh, over in uh, Southern California. And second, I want an opportunity at revenge against San Francisco. You don't have Jimmy G, or excuse me, you don't have uh, Joe Cool. We got the new Joe Cool. His name's Joe Shiesty, Joe Bird, Joe Burrow. You got Jimmy Garoppolo, not the, not the former GOAT in Joe Montana. But that's your episode of the Amatelica Tellia's podcast in the books. If you like what you're heard and you're new to the program, please do not hesitate to subscribe. Follow your boy on Twitter at the J Shield. Follow the show on Instagram at Amatella underscore podcast. Podcast, excuse me. And a show on Twitter at Amatella underscore it T I S. It is your boy Josh Shields. Enjoy Conference Championship Sunday, ladies and gentlemen. And if you're in the Northeast Mid Atlantic area of the country, stay warm and get to that snow shoveling. Talk to you next week. See ya.